controls in their hospitals. Many people have caught the virus in clinics. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Well, some rapid fire headlines for you this morning. U.S. Treasuries rise, stocks fall, Cisco kills it, Tencent kills it, the New York Times dumps its editor in a rather crude way, Citic sells a $5 billion stake to investors, and UBS says China stocks will fall some 20% this year. Now, you may note the perverse polarity in some of those headlines. If Tencent and Cisco are killing it on earnings, why are people so nervous about growth that they would be piling into treasuries. The yield on the 10-year at a six-month low this morning. Well, that's what makes a market, and we'll try to get to the heart of it this morning here on Money for Nothing. Here's a possible explanation. The policy rate, the short-term rate, you know, basically is a fundamental building block for all assets, and it means that all risk assets will be low returning. But importantly, it also means that all assets will be low risking or lower risking because the market at the moment expects a 4% policy rate three to four years out. We expect a 2% policy rate, and importantly, that will stabilize and make equity markets and risk markets less bubbly uh, than they appear to be now. Yeah, you probably think he's crazy if you look at your portfolio and you see some of your high flyers down 20, 30, 40 percent. But we'll take a look a little bit uh, throughout the program this morning. Uh, one of our guests, Peru Sagzana of Peru Sagzana Wealth Management, always looks very closely at the markets. Here's how the Asian markets are trending now. The Nikkei lower. In fact, Australia and Seoul also down. Looks like it could be a red letter day. Uh, the Nikkei down 140, 1% off. Uh, Wall Street was down. Get, we'll get to that in a minute. And looking at Australia, the ASX 200 down a little less than a point, And the Kospi and Seoul off about three points. So not too much movement there, but definitely a kind of risk-off start to the day. Dollar yen, 101.76. Not much change there. The euro at $1.37. So it's moved down from that 138 uh, level. And looking at the Australian dollar, 93.7 cents, still holding on to its strength, and the pound at 12 Hong Kong dollars and 99 cents. Well, in our featured segments this morning, we'll be looking at all of that. We'll also discuss 10 cents earnings with Ben Cavender of the China Market Research Group. Perusa Xena, as mentioned, will be along for a look at markets and investing strategy. We'll also take a look at international art collectors descending upon Hong Kong this week. Why? Well, they're chasing works of contemporary Asian artists. The Asian contemporary art market is still booming. It was booming already five years ago, but it's still booming. So all that's coming up in the next few short minutes. On Wall Street, stocks were down. Investors resumed the selling in small cap and Internet shares. The S&P 500 was down half a percent at 18.88. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 101 points, 16,613. The Russell 2000 Index of small stocks sank 1.6%. The index is now down almost 3% over the past two days, and it's right at the 200-day moving average. Treasury yields down to a six-month low, the 10-year off seven basis points at 2.54%. And this was despite a pickup in PPI, or wholesale inflation. I'll get you those numbers in a minute. But first, Alan Greenspan, he said it's worth thinking about, but it's probably not serious. The producer's price index this morning uh, moved up significantly. The core part of it moved up. 
it came in as a big surprise. Now, I don't know whether or not that is other than a blip, but if inflation is beginning to pick up, it's got to start somewhere, and it usually starts the way we're looking at it. Now, I'm not forecasting inflation is about to run. I doubt it very much. But the presumption that it's uh, no longer on the horizon, I think, is a mistake. So let's go back to Bill Gross at PIMCO. He doesn't think investment returns will be very good over the next few years. Nothing does really well. I mean, the really well is in the past. The 30% uh, returns of the stock market last year, um, you know, the tremendous bull market from 1981 in terms of 30-year treasuries that uh, lasted up until the last year and a half. You know, basically, when you have a 2.5% year treasury, that's what you're going to get. And if you have a uh, 2% policy rate in 2017 and 2018, which is what we expect. That's what you're going to get in terms of your savings. So he explains uh, a little bit more about his thesis going out over the next three to four years. Yeah, we are tapering and the QE will end. And to the extent that that stimulation uh, that's provided a trillion dollars worth a year of purchasing power is going away. Uh, yes, perhaps the economy is, is better off than it was before. But uh, importantly, going forward, it's the policy rate. It's the 25 basis points currently. It's the cheapness of money, the price of money on the short end that will ultimately determine the strength of the economy and the potential for inflation going forward. You know, Fed officials are talking about this and have been talking about this for months. You see it in their blue dots in which they look at the uh, normal Fed funds rate three, four, five years forward, and they all think it's close to 4%. And there's the critical difference. That's why we think the new neutral, the new neutral policy rate is not 4%, but it's about 2%. And so, yes, to your question, it, it depends significantly on further stimulation from central banks because we have high levels of debt that must be supported with low interest rates. It's not necessarily a positive for savers because they get repressed to get low interest rates. But, you know, it is the reality that we see going forward over the next three to four years. And it has, you know, important implications, not just for bonds, but also for stocks and risk assets. So I know that probably irks you a lot. Um, low interest rates, not good for you as a saver, uh, but good for those people who piled up a lot of debt. And maybe, if you believe the officials, good for the overall system. Anyway, as you heard there, Mr. Gross has a new term, the new neutral. Now, his firm is not dropping the old uh, uh, term, the new normal, but they've added uh, this investment theme. How is it different? Well, it's different in that it applies to interest rates, and we're not replacing the new normal. You know, the new normal is something that I first mentioned five years ago in 2009 at our PIMCO Secular Forum, which is what we just had last week. Uh, the new normal refers to slow economic growth, 2% real growth, you know, based upon structural headwinds such as demographics and high debt levels. That hasn't changed. We're sticking with the new normal. But what we're suggesting is that in terms of investment markets, um, we've got a new neutral. Okay, so what is this new neutral? What exactly uh, is it? New neutral basically refers to the neutral policy rate going forward, that magical number, uh, whatever it is, you know, whatever Janet Yellen and uh, Mr. Carney and others decide it should be in order to maintain 
2% inflation and 2 to 3% real growth. And so the, the new neutral really is that magical number that will drive markets going forward. Okay, so I know that was a lot of Bill Gross for you. And I guess I'm kind of preoccupied with him, but he has been a very influential investor over the past uh, 30 years or so. And he described there, of course, uh, the rampant bull market for bonds over 30 years or so that just finished up in the past couple of years. And it kind of takes us into the two themes that have developed this year. And let me say good morning now to Peru Sexena of Peru Sexena Wealth Management. Peru, the, the two big themes so far this year, I think you can sort of connect the dots on them now. Uh, one big theme being the, the torrid sell-off of, of growth companies, growth stocks, so whether it's biotech, internet, social media, or the like. And this really big drop in bond yields, uh, it seems like investors now have caught on to the idea that growth is just not going to be very good in the West. You're looking at a couple of percent only. So you sell down the growth companies, you buy treasuries, you hunker down, you take your yield. Uh, good morning, Brian. I think you probably disagree with that. Um, no, I think we've seen a shift in uh, <clears throat> investor preference over the last four or five months. As you rightly point out, a lot of the leading momentum stocks, the sectors, the hot sectors, have been pummeled over the last four or five uh, months. You know, the likes of uh, Twitter and some of the other names, uh, the Lululemons, uh, all the big growth flyers, you know, they've been cut by half in some cases. And we've seen a shift of capital back into the large cap blue chip stocks over the last few months. The high yielders, the consumer staples, the healthcare companies, the utilities, the, the robust companies, they're back in vogue. Uh, they're breaking out to new 52-week highs. Uh, you know, the tobacco stocks, uh, the booze companies, they're the ones which are now performing well. And I think this is going to continue for several months. Uh, I think the the text shares, the biotechs, and also the high flies uh, are done for a while here. Yeah, except um, I mentioned in the in the headlines at the beginning that you do see these very strong earnings reports from some, some companies. Uh, Ten cent announced, for instance, profits up sixty percent. Uh, revenue surged uh, as well. I mean, their their revenues were were up dramatically. Um, you know, they've been consistently running thirty to forty percent increases in revenues. Uh, Cisco is out overnight. Now, admittedly, it has it has been a, an underperformer for the past little bit, but it uh, came out with some very strong earnings, and so. You know, it's it's an interesting dichotomy in these markets that you can still find companies that are growing. Well, of course, you have businesses which do well. You have some outstanding businesses which do well regardless of what the economy does. And, of course, Tencent is one of those companies. The thing is here, if you look at the real economy, Brian, I'm convinced that the U.S. economy and also the economy in Europe has bottomed out. Things are improving. The housing market bottomed out in most countries in the West uh, a couple of years ago. And that usually is a very big tailwind for the economy because the housing industry is a big employment generator. And once this industry starts hiring people, then all this, this unemployment rate comes down, which is what we are seeing happen now in the U.S. And when people get back into work, they start spending and then you have the, uh, the new credit cycle, which is inflated. Yeah, it doesn't look good, uh, Peru. I mean, the housing market couldn't handle the slightly higher interest rates that we saw last year. That's why now for uh, uh, many consecutive months, uh, it has been slowing down. Uh, prices have uh, kind of stopped racing to the upside. Transactions have dropped. Uh, and this is because, you know, people see now that it was investors that moved in. It's not really end users. There is no growth in the U.S. economy. It's not coming back. And it really supports the theme that we've seen this year. We better all get used to it. Um, really slow, ugly growth, and 
that's all you can look forward to. Well, growth is going to be slow. You know, remember the U.S. is the world's largest economy. It's not a small a small economy which can grow at eight or ten percent a year. I mean, even if it grows at two percent, I think that's still reasonable. If you look at the investing uh, landscape, you know, monetary policy, as I've said many times, influences what happens in the markets. And as long as the monetary policy is favorable and the Fed funds rate is near zero, equity markets are continue to will probably continue to go up. So the Fed is tapering the bond buying uh, in a sense that is tightening. It's less uh, it's less liquidity, a lot less uh, juice flowing through the system, uh, uh, but. It seems like what will happen um, is that we'll get the taper through the rest of this year, and perhaps there'll be a long period then between the end of the taper and the beginning of raising interest rates because, as we mentioned, growth is there, but it's not very strong. Well, I think personally that interest rates are not going to go up for another two years. I think the street expects rates to start going up in sort of the latter half of 2015 I beg to disagree. I think interest rates are probably going to go up by summer 2016 if they happen, uh, if it happens at that point. A lot will obviously depend on the housing recovery uh, and the overall economy. But I just don't think there's enough juice in the economy at the moment for the Fed to prematurely raise interest rates because that's just going to kill kill the bull market to the recovery. Bill Gross is actually arguing that it's even longer than what you're suggesting. He's saying that consensus is in a couple of years, and he's thinking more like four years, that that's how protracted this uh, secular decline and these structural impediments that we see are structural problems in the U.S. economy. And you can put Europe in there as well. Well, I think interest rates will start moving up in a couple of years from now, and they will increase in baby steps. If you remember okay. the last cycle, uh, they went up in baby steps by quarter uh, percent, 25 basis points every few months. So it is likely that the same thing will play out this time around. And for us to get to 2%, as Mr. Gross says, it might take 2017 or 2018 before we get to 2%, and probably 2019 before we get to 3%. It's not going to be a dramatic hike in interest rates because there is not enough uh, inflation. Okay, so I've been taking the um, you know the low growth tack on this program just to argue a little bit of uh, devil's advocate. Uh, of course, um, you know could go the other direction. Uh, as you look out across the landscape right now, you know what what is your theme? How are you directing uh, clients' money? Well, we've got the equity portfolio, and we've got uh, exposure there to consumer staples, uh, healthcare, a lot of the industrials, energy stocks, uh, the late cycle movers. They're moving. Uh, if you look at the strength recently, you know the energy space has done really well. Industrials have done well. Uh, consumer staples, you know, the likes likes of McDonald's, uh, Eli Lilly, uh, some of the other names uh, which have broken out to 52-week highs. They give you good dividend yields. So we've gone into those. Uh, I mean, admittedly, it's been a difficult year for us in the last three or four months because of the choppiness. Our trend-following system is down 4% for the equity portfolio. The, but we are- the problem with that thesis is a lot of these you know, consumer discretionary and uh, safe company stocks, uh, they're just not growing. Um, they might be safe and you might get a decent dividend yield, but they're not really growing uh, very much. And now that PEs are starting to push up to the high end of what should be considered normal for them. So um, that may not work. Well, the thing is, the revenue is not growing at a torrid pace. So the revenue may be increasing by four or five or six percent. But all these companies have got so much cash, Brian, and so little debt that they've been actively buying back shares in their own companies. So the earnings per share for some of these big companies is still growing by about eight or 10 percent a year. And that's phenomenal. Okay. All right. I, I would say that, you know, this is a very interesting time. We're at a very close uh, to what you might call an inflection point because you've got treasury yields 
you know, moving way down and you've got a sell off in all these um, high growth companies. And now you've got a lot of them right around the 200 day moving average. The Russell 2000, which is that big index of, of uh, small caps in the States, right at the 200 day moving average. It could break either way. It could show support here and rebound up. And then, you know, we're back off to the races. Or if it breaks down, then who knows what happens. So uh, are you prepared to adjust if you see a change? Oh, yes. If you look at the tape, you know, the market is very tricky. It's a very divergent market. Half of the stocks the New York Stock Exchange are doing well and half of them aren't. You know, the, the blue chip companies are performing very well. The large uh, caps are doing very well. The small caps, the glamour stocks, the momentum stocks, they aren't doing very well. And usually this kind of divergence is seen in the latter phases of a bull market. So we are in a mature bull market right now. How long it goes on for is anybody's guess, but I think the yield curve will probably not invert for the next three or four years. Yeah. And until then, the stocks will go up, not all of them. But if you are in the right areas and the right sectors, you should do well. Okay, Peru, thanks for joining us here on Money for Nothing. Always appreciated. Peru Sagzena, Peru Sagzena Wealth Management. Well, as we mentioned earlier, Tencent has announced a 60% jump in profits. Net income was about billion U.S. dollars. Revenue from online games and advertising on WeChat and QQ surged. Income was also aided by some one-time gains. Tencent added games and advertising services to messaging applications like WeChat, which of course, is Weixin in China. Revenue up 36% from a year earlier. We're joined by Benjamin Cavender, analyst at the China Market Research Group. Ben, good morning. Good morning. So very strong earnings from Tencent. Uh, what do you find interesting in that package? Well, I think what's most interesting about it is, uh, you know, most people thought Tencent was going to do pretty well, and they they really sort of exceeded expectations in terms of specifically the amount of revenue they were able to generate off of mobile games. Um, I think what it shows is that they've really figured out how to generate sales off their WeChat user base, and, and this is really important because it's going to hold them in good stead as they you know, develop further applications or further uses for the platform going forward. Are you concerned at all, or are some of the people you talk to about this company concerned that they are possibly biting off more than they can chew? They're moving into e-commerce. Um, they're even looking at uh, search. Well, I, I do think the worry, you know, when you look at the, this market, is that it's very hard to do everything well. Um, and, you know, Tencent has always been very good at doing social networking. They've always been very good at operating games off the PC, um, moving into the e-commerce space or mapping or some of those other functions um, does present a possible challenge for them. It, it means that they're going to be doing much more head-to-head versus Alibaba. And so there is some concern there that that's going to maybe force them to lower prices, force them to compete more on cost. But I think they've got a really good team in place. I think that uh, the services they offer work really well, and consumers are really positive about their offering. So they've got a good chance to do quite well. Does Tencent's earnings in any way serve as a barometer? Does it tell us that the new economy companies in China are just doing very fine? Thank you very much. Well, you know, I, I think the reality is when you look at the e-commerce space here, a lot of companies are still working on very small margins as a way to drive traffic and sort of become the, the last man standing as they, they beat down the other companies. But I think we've definitely crossed a point where the e-commerce space, that's where people are spending their time. That's how they're buying. So if you're not there, you really run the risk now of not being able to get the growth that you want to get. And so I think Tencent is probably – better position than almost anybody to take advantage of that simply because they have the absolute hottest um, platform right now for communications and that's turned into a real springboard for actually making purchases. Against that backdrop then, what do you think about the big sell-off in uh, stock prices of a lot of these types of companies? 
Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, in some ways the sell-off was probably warranted. I, I think there had been a fairly big run-up with some of these companies. The uh, uh, P-E ratios were, were quite high. Um, a lot of those companies were, you know, continuing to add users, continuing to grow revenues, but maybe weren't getting the kind of uh, margins or uh, profits that they wanted to get. I think what we've seen with Tencent is that if you set things up correctly and you things out for the future, there still is an opportunity to make very, very healthy earnings, and, and they've done that, and so they should be rewarded for that. Who are some of the other big winners uh, in the space? Um, we've already talked a little bit about uh, Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu, I guess, might be one. Uh, what are some of the other good companies in your view? You know, if I were to pick a, a couple of other companies that I see probably doing well longer term here in China in this space, I think one would be VIP Shop. Um, they've done a very good job of uh, creating a platform for consumers that are looking to buy mid-range or even, you know, sort of upper mid-range luxury goods at a discount online. Um, I think they're going to continue to keep doing well as consumers get more comfortable purchasing through the Internet and as companies look at more efficient ways to move some of their old stock that they can't sell through brick-and-mortar stores. Um, so they should do well. Um, I think another company that's going to be interesting to watch over the next couple of years would be YY.com. Um, I don't know how familiar people are with the company, but basically they run – online uh, chat rooms that can be monetized through sale of virtual goods. Um, they're probably going to you know, list at some point over the next couple of years. They're already very profitable. They've already got a very strong user base. So I, I look at those two spaces as being areas that have a lot of potential room for growth. Did Tencent um, end up uh, driving some revenue by uh, selling virtual uh, reality in um, games like Candy Crush or some of these other ones? Uh, is, was that a, a portion of their earnings? Yeah, I think that's that's taking up an increasingly large portion of, of their earnings. You know, I think their bread and butter is still sort of the, the PC gaming market, but what we saw this last quarter is that the mobile gaming and games that are being run via WeChat are starting to do um, extremely well. Um, and you look at games like Candy Crush, uh, I, I think they're going to do very well. People are much more comfortable now making direct payments via their phone with the, the 10 pay being integrated directly into WeChat. Um, and so I think that ultimately that might end up being um, you know, a big, bigger long-term driver than their traditional gaming via QQ or uh, via PC games. Okay, Ben, got to let you go. Thanks very much. Ben Cavender with the China Market Research Group. We mentioned PPI earlier in the States. Uh, just to give you an idea, you know, whether there's any inflation in the system, um, expectations were for a 1.7% increase year on year, and the producer price index was up 2.1%. We also mentioned that Cisco's earnings were pretty good. They gave a, a forecast for fourth quarter revenue that topped analyst estimates and uh, looking at um, in increased, uh, they, they ended up beating on both the top and bottom lines. Well, international art collectors have moved in on Hong Kong this week for the Art Basel exhibition. There's a real buzz at the Wanjai Convention Center. Hundreds of galleries from over 30 countries are represented. We spoke with some local gallery owners about why they take part. First off, Michael Manzardo, the Swiss owner of Art Supermarket, who set up his business here five years ago. He expects to meet a whole lot of international buyers here who are not regular visitors to Hong Kong. I think there were different crowd than, than a normal opening or art gallery night. There are a lot of people I didn't know, so that means their crowd is already in town. The art collectors, the art lovers from all over the world. Hong Kong's art market is now ranked alongside New York and London in terms of yearly revenue. Henrietta Choi, founder of Gallery Aura Aura, says the city has definitely become an international art hub. 
Asian contemporary art market is still booming. It was booming already five years ago, but it's still booming. There's still a, a, a huge demand. People come to Hong Kong and they want to see and uh, buy Asian or, or even or more specified uh, Chinese contemporary art. Because I have people, they, they, uh, if I have some, some European artists, they are not interested because they know I come to Hong Kong, I want to see Asian art. I don't know, I want to buy Asian art. To buy Western art, they can buy in Europe or in the U.S., Michael Manzardo there, sorry about that, uh, talking about the global hunger for Asian art. Now we get to that comment uh, from Henrietta Choi. She says the city, definitely an art hub. Now we are, we, we are seeing different participation, like corporate sponsors, and, and they are and art patrons who are... That's very instrumental because you need the financing. You're in the markets, right? We need the funding. No funding, no talk, okay? It's a realistic thing. So we, you need the patients to support the cause, and then you need a bunch of cultural workers to develop the program. We do have both now. She's cautiously optimistic about the ability here in Hong Kong for it to become a more sophisticated art center. I'm optimistic. Um, as long as the Hong Kong government don't mess things up, and as long as M Plus can truly open the way they say they will, we are becoming a very important app because M Plus is going to be one of the most important and comprehensive museum in, contemporary, yeah. in the contemporary art world. Any cultural city has to have their own collection. If Hong Kong can really demonstrate to the world that we have a world-class collection, the respect will be there. And Adriana Puerta Roja, founder of Puerta Roja Gallery, agrees. If you compare it, though, with London or New York, they are art centers. They're not art trading centers. So there's creation, there's uh, museums of contemporary art, there's collectors, um, you know, there's a whole ecology that is much more mature than in Hong Kong. The creation of M Plus, it's going to make a massive difference to you know, bringing a little bit of maturity to what today is an art scene that is still very commercial. So that's the view on the ground at the Wan Chai Convention Center. Art Basel opens to the public today. So if you've got some time, head over for a look. Let's take a look at how markets are moving here now as you wrap up the program uh, for this Thursday. And by the way, I'll be away for a few weeks. And Enid Choi, my colleague and occasional presenter, uh, will be along to uh, host the program for the next couple of weeks. And uh, we'll, we'll be um, looking at uh, Renita Mahaltra-Hora for the first week of June. I'll be back on uh, the 5th of of June. Okay, so markets now, again, red numbers on the screens. The Nikkei down 195 at 14,209. In Australia, markets also down. It's about of a quarter of a percent there and a tenth of a percent in Seoul. Currency's not doing too much at the moment. By the way, the yuan rate, 6.165, and that means that um, the fixing is higher. That means that the trade will be, well, lower in terms of value, probably around 6.22 and change. Oil prices, 110.23. We continue to see see support for uh, oil prices these days and gold now $1306.20 so also gold moved up overnight weather today mainly cloudy with a few showers and isolated thunderstorms the maximum temperature right around 30 degrees and looking out over the next day or two showers expected but sunshine over the weekend maximum temperature today again right around 30 that's the program and uh, I'll see you in a few weeks 
Coming up next, the news and after that, back chat. But for the moment, here's Samantha Butler. Police in the Turkish cities of Ankara and Istanbul have fired tear gas and water cannon at thousands of demonstrators demanding the government resign over the country's deadliest mining disaster. 274 bodies have been recovered from the mine. More than 100 men are still missing. The BBC's Ola Geren is at the scene. The relief operations here at the mine have been suspended for a few hours, but we understand they will continue through the night. There are reports that the fire below ground has now been brought under control, though these are still unconfirmed. But as of now, there are still more than 100 men missing. And I think there can be very few people here in Soma who still hold out hope of more survivors being found. In the town, there is a tremendous sense of grief and loss, but also a very palpable feeling of rage and that is directed not only towards the owners of the mine but also towards the authorities themselves. The Financial Secretary John Jung will hold talks with other senior officials later today to discuss the possible consequences should the budget bill not be passed in time in LegCo due to a filibuster